Welcome back, everybody, to the episode of the JC Super Podcast. This is episode number 253, dedicated to a man who on August 3rd, 2006, hit his 715th home run, which moved him into second place all-time in the all-time home run leaders list, Mr. Barry Bonds. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading another episode of the podcast on today's episode, we will be joined by Mr. Jeff Hunt as Jeff and I go back 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago, as we relive history talking about what took place when the Ohio State Buckeyes upset the Miami Hurricanes in the 02 BCS National Championship game. One of my favorite games to watch when I was a youngster was this game. One of my favorite games to watch of all time is this game. The storylines on both sides, the players on both sides, the All-Americans on both sides, Miami's prestige, Ohio State, and the brand that it is. These two teams meeting together in the 03 Fiesta Bowl. Man, let me tell you, this was a fun one to rewatch with Jeff Hunt. And him and I go back through the depth charts, the roster, some stats, some things that were storylines, some things that comparing stats between both teams. Him and I go have a fun time discussing players that you will remember watching play not only college football, but also playing in the National Football League as well. So let's go ahead and take a trip. Bring in Mr. Jeff Hunt. Tim and I relive history and discuss what took place during the 03 Fiesta Bowl when the Ohio State Buckeyes upset the Miami Hurricanes to win the national championship. And joining us now, here on the JCMS podcast, as Jeff and I are going to do a little bit of reliving history right here on the podcast, is Jeff Hunt. Kind of just said his name a little bit right there. He is the host of the Jeff Needs Sports Podcast, the Jeff Needs Help Podcast, because we all know when it's football season, Jeff needs all the help he can get, keeping his emotions <laughs> in check. It's my guy, Jeff Hunt. Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's it's good to be on. I know we, you know, we do a lot of Buckeye stuff, so uh, I'm it's I'm always happy to be on the 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 OG the Jay Stevens podcast. This I'm looking forward to this one, man. This is this is like I just told you, it's been 20 years in the making. This show, so um, I'm I'm good to go. For those of you wondering why Jeff said 20 years in the making, well, at the top of this show. We kind of gave a little bit of a teaser about what we're discussing today as we're going to be reliving history. The 2002 BCS National Championship game, which was also the 2003 Fiesta Bowl between the number one Miami Hurricanes and the number two team in the land, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Jeff and I are both Buckeyes fans, but this game to me is bigger than just Buckeyes win the game. These are two teams undefeated that are battling it out on the field and there's just so much to coaches you recognize and from during this era, a lot of players you recognize during this era, a lot of names you recognize, even to this day for the days in college, to their days, days in the NFL. And the buildup to this game was very, very interesting because you had the almighty powerful Miami Hurricanes who just won the national championship the year before by beating the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And then you had Jim Trestle, new, a newer coach at Ohio State, who was trying to capitalize and finish a year undefeated and win a national championship for the first time at Ohio State in a very long time. These two teams met up in Arizona, and Jeff, it was a battle, but the buildup to this thing was special. Oh, yeah, it's an amazing – and it's really – it's the story of two teams, a 
completely different phases uh, of their perspective, you know, dynasties, you know, it's, it's hard to overstate exactly not only how good Miami hurricanes were in those couple years, but like how, how they were perceived, how dominant they were NFL guys all over the field. And then, you know, you've got this upstart Ohio state team who, couldn't beat Michigan for over 10 years. You know, they're coming off not a great season, but a, you know, the a good Michigan win the year before with an unknown quarterback. And then they come into the second season under Trestle, this guy from Youngstown State in the sweater vest and all this, you know, you, you know, a freshman running back out of nowhere. Because, you know, recruiting back then was a little different. If you weren't really tapped into the team, you don't know who every freshman running back is. And it wasn't about how many stars and all this, regardless, you know, to, to everybody. So it was like the complete unknown. And then somehow these two teams doing it two completely different ways, you know, wind up playing one. It's just one of the greatest games in college football history. It's a, just the season from start to finish, the game, everything. It was just a, it was a truly amazing season. And Jeff, there might be some youngsters. When I say youngsters, not people that are like 20 years old. I literally mean people that are five, six, seven, or eight listening with their dad or their mom that might be saying, Jay, you said BCS national championship <laughs> yeah. game. What is that? Well, during this time, the BCS was a computer system. It was a poll that was put together because in the 90s, you had co-national champions quite a few times. You had a series of, of a couple agreements to where the winner of the Rose Bowl had no shot of winning the national championship at the outright national championship. So all of a sudden, somebody, I don't know who it was, decided, well, let's compile all these polls that we have in college football and use a computer system to spit out it, spit out a formula <laughs> That gives us the ranking. So that came with the BCS. The BCS to me was not a problem. I actually enjoyed it. And I'm also glad because I know there were some years you had undefeated teams that were not at one or two at the end of the season. I do like that the computer with its formula spit out this formula where it's one versus two. Because I do believe if there was any way for the Buckeyes to, to be number three versus number two and the computer spit that out, People would go crazy, yeah. but we got the two best teams in the land, two best records in the land. Jim Trestle's trying to do what he did at Youngstown State by winning national championships. Larry Coker's trying to win another one to keep this run going down there in Coral Gables. And Jeff, that run down in Miami, I think that gets lost nowadays because of what's going down in Tuscaloosa with Alabama and over there in Clemson and what, Kirby's doing down there in Georgia because we forget people harp on what Miami is not right now. But during this time, it was what Miami was, what oh, yeah. they have been doing going back to the early 80s. And Miami was looking to relive and rekindle a lot of the firepower that they had in the 80s and 90s, once again, in the new century. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I, you know, I grew up with the, the dominant you know, dynasty of the Miami Hurricanes through the 80s with Jimmy Johnson. And then, you know, they had a bit of a lull, so to speak, but they were still really good. I remember, you know, the, you know, few, I don't know, classic games with, you know, them versus Notre Dame, Catholics versus convicts. If anybody doesn't know about that, it, it's, that was a, a couple of wild series back then. And then they come out with these teams, you know, like I say, these, these star studded teams, Butch Davis was actually the head coach. I mean, mm -hmm. that's another part. Stories. Larry Coker takes over a, 
a great team and he's kind of handed the job. Nobody, nobody really knows. And it's, it's proved that we know why we didn't know, but nobody really knows much about Coker. They just, he was the next guy They handed him the job and they're like, don't screw this up for a year. And he did. Um, yeah, that's part of this game. We'll talk about, he really got out coached in this game and his team was not prepared for an Ohio state team. And Trestle was by far the better football coach. Uh, you know, that, that just goes without saying it was a complete mismatch, you know, as far as, the, the coaching on both sides of the game. But, yeah, it's another interesting part. But, yeah, Miami, it was crazy. The, the mystique behind them, you know, like I said, it slowed down in the 90s, but they were still a good team. These teams were awesome. But then since then, 20 years, um, you know, I don't know how else to say it. They've they've had some high points. They've been a mediocre, you know, you know university, you know, for, for, for quite a while now since this. And Ohio State, honestly, if you look at if you look at that Ohio State team, even though they won a national championship, they don't hold a candle to what we've had over the last 20 years since then. It was, this wasn't even by any means Jim Trestle's best team. No. It was just the one it was it was the one that got it done for him, but it was by no means the best or most talented team he had. This was the beginning of what now we look, it's been two decades of it just historically great football by Ohio State. Uh, they have they have not faltered one bit through a couple different coaches and another national championship along the way. It's uh the programs have been in a bit of a different path, so to speak. A different path is a good way to put it. I mean, you look at these rosters, Jeff, and I'm just going to go over some of the guys that were starters or some notable names, some guys that weren't starters on this team. Look at Miami. We talk about the team that they ran. They ran a traditional 4-3 that was the um, traditional standard defense at this time, occasional three, four, but a lot of teams were in a four, four, three set. Jerome McDougal was the first thing that popped out of my mind. And I was like, but he might not be a household name, but a lot of people knew who he was playing football. But then we get to these names on this team that you know, DJ Williams, Jonathan Vilma. I mean, there's two linebackers mm. on this squad, Sean Taylor, Keith Jackson is on the call of this game. Oh. And I remember him talking about this young man, six, three, two twenty, And I was like, I know Sean Taylor's big, but at this time, 6'3", 220, um, that's NFL size. NFL size, height, speed, strength. As a freshman, Jeff, that kid was not normal. Yeah, he was an absolute. He was an absolute freak uh, back then. It's there. There's a there's a few more, you know, Sean Taylor types now, but he was. That's what everybody said when you know the rise of the tight end came along in the you know the 2000s, you know, through now, and everybody was like, well, what was the answer? And everybody said, well, it was Sean Taylor. Yeah. Like that that, yeah. that was the the absolute prototype new safety, you know, that was going to take over this kind of hybrid big, you know, now, honestly, now Sean Taylor's a linebacker. If he plays, you know, in today's game, they, they would make him a quick, you know, you know, stand up linebacker, you know, maybe maybe he'd been at, um, you know, the bullet position or whatever, you know, a high state as he'd be he'd be more something like that because of his size and speed. But then, you know, at free safety, just just a problem to deal with, with the range he had that you were still, and I don't mean this to be derogatory. You were still allowed to hit back then. Like you could, you could leap and, you know, hit a guy high and knock, try to knock him out, dislodge the ball. That, that wasn't a penalty then. Um, and he was great at that, which that that's been something that was taken away. But, um, you know, Sean Taylor was one of the, just physically opposing. He, he great skill, um, great hands, um, just an unbelievable football player. I think him and Vilma, I think, were the two best players on this Miami team, in my opinion. I think Vilma is probably one of the most underrated NFL linebackers of all time, but just one of the true great Miami Hurricanes of all time. 
some other guys on this defense that you'll recognize, and there's one, the returner. I just loved him as a player. Cornerback, but first, uh, cornerback Antro Roll was a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal solid player. Returner, I loved him. He played returner, and he was a receiver in Roscoe Parrish. He wore number one, which went into adding why he was that guy. I loved return men that wear number one. I mean, it's, to me, it's just one of those special numbers. you got to be a fast guy to wear number one, Jeff. You can't be somebody slow. I mean, you're probably someone running a – Low 4-4 or a 4-3-40. That's probably the guy who's going to wear the number one jersey. But the most interesting thing I found when they're reading off the starting lineups about Ken Dorsey, the quarterback, his completion percentage was trash. Yeah. Imagine a quarterback having a 38-1 record as a starter who only completes 55% of his passes. Jeff, we, you and I, I know us, we rip him apart. But for yep. some reason, Ken Dorsey was the guy. You wanted as your starting quarterback because he only had one loss as a starter in college up until this point. Yeah, that was something that stood out the whole game as I'm watching, you know, the, the replay of the game. And I remembered thinking Ken Dorsey was, you know, it was a he he wasn't the player that it everything was about his undefeated record. And that's great. But when you really watch him play, he's just not to be mean, but he's just not that good of a quarterback. His um, strength was for, not there. And for the record, neither was Krenzel. And Trestle knew that. And, yes. and Trestle used Krenzel as a leader, as someone he could trust, as someone he can make. You know, he made four or five throws that season to, to get him to the national <laughs> championship game. And honestly, he made a fourth down throw in this game that was one of the best throws of you know his career. And he did everything he needed to do. But Dorsey was supposed to be like, it was, and I can't overstate the mismatch that this game was portrayed as like Miami was supposed to blow Ohio state out of the water. Like Miami was supposed to beat Ohio state in this game. Like Alabama beat them a couple years ago mm -hmm. in the national mm -hmm. championship That's game. It. That was yeah. what it was, was expected as a high state fans. We were a little more upbeat because we had been through the war that year. Like game after game after game was close and they would pull it out because these kids were so tough and so mentally tough, low scoring. They they found a way to grind these games out. But then the other side was they also had to grind games out against teams that weren't near the caliber of what we saw in Miami. So, you know, the uh, the the underdog property of it, you know, can't be overstated either. It, it, this was supposed to be an absolute landslide victory for Miami and walk off with the and if they do this, they've had two of the greatest years in the history of college football and high state just ruined it just absolutely ruined it and you know we we don't look at that miami those miami teams the same it's just the truth you also have on this team starter willis mcgay who who ends up getting hurt later in this game yeah. we'll talk more about that down the road uh kellen winslow the son of kellen winslow senior former nfl star tight end phenomenal at his dad he's mm -hmm. following in his dad's footsteps down in miami and also, I, 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 I always, for some reason, forget Winslow's before Shockey. I always think Shockey is before Kellen Winslow, but Jeremy Shockey, I do believe, is after Kellen Winslow. No, I do I forget think, that. I think, I'm pretty sure Shockey is the next tight end in this line that they had down there, because I think they also had Greg Olson after Jeremy Olson, Shockey. Olson, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and then you had Kellen Winslow tight end, Andre Johnson. Yes, the Andre Johnson from the Houston yes. Texans. Had a cup of coffee with the Indianapolis Colts. He's a receiver. I think he was like 6'2", 205, 210. And Keith Jackson's like, that's big. But he looked like he was 225, bro. Oh. That boy was solid. Yeah. And again, if Dorsey's a better quarterback, this, this game's a mismatch. It really is. I mean, 
between Parrish and Johnson. And, you know, for anybody, I encourage anybody to go back and watch this game. There's some really great uh, versions of it on YouTube yes. that you can watch. And it, it would be hard to explain to somebody that at, at the end of the fourth quarter, this game 17 to 17, that's a first quarter in today's college football. Yeah. Like the way that like it's, it really is a throwback to remember. Like I remember like there's five minutes left. We're like, Oh, we got a good chance here as to where now it's like, Alabama might score twice in five minutes. Um, yeah. It's it's a different sport. Yeah, the mismatch in athletes. You know, the biggest thing that jumps out is, you know, you'll start – I'm sure you're going to touch on the Ohio State players was just how big, physical, and tough that front seven of Ohio State was. And you could – from from the first snap, literally, Miami – they pushed Miami around a little bit, and they didn't expect that. And it, it's, it actually it winds up – from start to finish, because the very last play is obviously the the huge, you know, uh, pressure. We'll call it a pressure. It wasn't a sack. So from start to finish, you know, that front seven, you know, of the high state defense was just was the story of the game. It was. Let's go to the defense of the Buckeyes very quickly. Uh, Will Smith, unfortunately, huh. he is no longer with us. Uh, he did play when the in the NFL with the New Orleans Saints. Great uh, he player. is a starting defensive end. I'll touch on him here in a second once we get to the game because I think he had did a phenomenal job of setting the tone mm -hmm. with the Buckeye defense that Jeff just mentioned. Then you also had some other guys. Matt Wilhelm, and I wrote down his stats. 111 tackles, 16 and a half tackles for loss, two interceptions, first-team AP All-American. Jeff and I are going to do a show on Locked on Buckeyes about the best Ohio State linebackers over the past 20 years, I guarantee you Matt Wilhelm's name will probably not come up as a guy that Jeff and I draft in a three-round draft. But he's solid, man. Yeah. Like, these big guys up front, as Keith Jackson says so well, keep, allow Matt Wilhelm to just stay clean, get up, attack, tackle. He's able to do his job because of the big guys up front. And you have some other guys here, Dustin Fox, former NFL player, uh, 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 Chris Gamble. Played both ways. Jeff, the one thing about him that I that stuck out to me, the three previous games before this game, now there are 40 days off in between the final regular season game for the Buckeyes and the national championship game, but he played over 100 plays three yeah. games in a row. And then in this game, I think there was a graphic, out of 49 plays, he played offense, defense, and yeah. special teams. He was only off the field for nine. And I'm like – I, that's that's mind-boggling. I get like this being today's game, but I still don't see guys today or even 10 years ago being able to stay in shape like him from start to finish of the season, even at, again, a 40-day layoff, and he is still playing every facet of the game and excelling at it. Yeah, I'm an unbelievable football player. Save the season. We were really hurting on the defense, you know, the defensive secondary and, you know, Gamble – was it was a really good, really, really good wide receiver. And they're like, you know, we need you to start making this transition. So it was it was interesting as Buckeye fans like to watch every week like the escalation. And then like you say, again, coaching, coaching, coaching. They have these 40 days off. Chris Gamble shows up. He's a starter both ways and a very good. Like we just talked about how good the you know Miami wide receiving core was. And Gamble's a starting defensive back at the time. Winds up switching next year full time and then you know goes to the NFL and has a really successful career in the NFL as a defensive back. Uh, so just a credit to him for learning a craft and and learning how to do it. Cause he was he probably had a chance to be an NFL receiver, a uh, great athlete and a real, a real season saver for high state. Some there's several of these guys, but you haven't even. When, I'm sure you're going to talk about Mike Doss, but there's several of these guys that like are they're legends of 
you know, in the history of Ohio State for what they did for this team. Strong safety. He's next up. Mike Doss. He was an All-American. I believe he was a consensus All-American as well. Yeah. Um, Keith Jackson is like, he, he, the one thing about Keith Jackson I love, he he stays even keel the entire time. Yeah. But when he adds his own commentary, it just flows like your grandpa sitting on the couch, old school 50s, listening to the game on the radio. And grandpa's like, oh, yeah, he did this. But he's also adding his own flavor to the commentary. Keith Jackson's like, you know what that means, guys? Everybody voted for him. And I'm just like, it's so short and sweet to the point. He's, Everybody the, voted for him. The best there ever was. This is one of his my, my two favorite Keith Jackson games are are this one and the 06 Rose Bowl, the, the classic between classic, USC and man. Texas. Yeah, I'm happy to do that show anytime you want. Also, I, I think that's the greatest college football game ever played, uh, top to bottom. Um, this is this one where you know the 02 uh championship was another one, but um Keith Jackson was Every time I go rewatch this game, I, I I enjoy listening to it so much. He was so fair. He was so fun. He he's so he was such an advocate of college football and and what it means to like people like me. He's the sound of my youth. I mean, that's all I know is Keith Jackson and the way that it felts. I couldn't stand. You can hear in this game how much he, he just he dislike he dislikes the, the Buckeyes. He yes. always did. Every Buckeye game he called like listen to him call that. I think it was the O. Or was it the 10 Rose Bowl versus Oregon? Uh, the trail prior versus that, Oregon. I thought that was Herb Street. Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah, you're right. That was Herb Street. He, well, anyway, he called another big bowl game, and he's the same way. He just, he's the West Coast guy that disliked the Buckeyes. Uh, and I know you think I'm making it up. Just go listen to the games. Like when the, when the announcer says, we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But when the first thing he says instantly after a play is bad call, but it's the, when it when it goes against one team, like you can't do that as an announcer. Like you, like that's, that's coming from the heart. You know what I mean? Like when you haven't looked at it 400 times to evaluate it, typically you would hear a guy go, oh, I don't know. That's iffy. No, he literally yells bad call. So you know where his, you know, where his mind was that entire game. You know, I don't mind Fauci like the NFL and stuff, but Keith Jackson's a treasure. Um, it, it's just, we, we were, we were lucky to have him as announcer for as long as we had. I think that's the, one of the best things about Herb Street, Joel Klatt, I also love Brock Heward calling games. They're not just quick to say mm -hmm. bad call, good call. They have, you can tell there's a pause in their voice, in their cadence to where you might think they're figuring out what to say in their own thought. I think sometimes they're gathering their thoughts to yeah. properly decide how to tackle and go about describing what's going on and deciding is it a good call? Is it a bad call? So we wait for the review. Sometimes these guys are literally watching reviews right there as they're talking so that while they're talking, they're like, oh, here is the, here's what happened. Here's how we describe it. But you're exactly right. That stuck out to me too. Bad call, buddy. It's in double over. It's in overtime. Yeah. Calm down. The, yeah. the referees get caught up in the emotion just like you are right now. Yeah. I mean, it's a natural thing. Bad call. That was weird. It really stood out. It really stood out. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more towards the end. I've got, a, obviously, as a Buckeye fan, I've heard it for 20 years. I've got a lot of thoughts about the call. Craig Krenzel is the starting quarterback for the Buckeyes. Oh. Ended up playing in the NFL as well. This was the first quarterback that I started to follow. Sort of like a fandom-wise. Like, oh, he's yeah, a Buckeye he, quarterback. What's going to be in the NFL? Trash. But I didn't just I didn't had realize. No business. No business being in the NFL. I am a youngster. I At this time, this is 2002. So I was 14. Goodness, that was 13. I hadn't had turned 14 yet. Oh man, I was 13 years old. I know I'm, I know I'm 
little bit younger than you. No, that's a it's great so, time to start to watch this game. That's awesome. 13 years old. And I'm like, Craig Krenzel, I like you, man. Let's see what you do. Let's see what you do in the league. And I, I quickly realized he wasn't that good. But I was so naive and so young. I didn't care. I didn't care at all. I was glad that a Buckeye quarterback was in the NFL and I could follow him. I want to keep moving through this, Jeff. Some other guys on the Buckeyes you'll definitely understand and recognize. Maurice Claret. Unfortunately, he only played one year for the Buckeyes because he was trying to go to the NFL early. And Jeff and I have our own thoughts about that yeah. one with things going on right now in college football. Um, tight end Ben Hartsock. He did play in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Played for the Colts. I think he played for maybe a, uh, two or three more teams before mm -hmm. calling it quits. And then Gamble, we just touched on him, him earlier, played uh, both ways. And Michael Jenkins played a long time for the Atlanta Falcons as well. Jeff, this game, you hinted at it earlier, talked about it. You talk about how the Buckeye defense really set the tone early. The front seven really made it hard for the Miami, for the Miami front five offensive offensive line to get off the ball. First play for the Miami offense was a sack from Will Smith. Yep. And you might say, Jay, was Will Smith really that good? Oh, yeah. Yes. Off the jump, quick, quick off the ball. And the left tackle had no opportunity yep. to stop him. And I'm looking. I know the Buckeyes blitzed quite a bit throughout this game because they realized they had to get some pressure outside of their front four. But dialing up the blitz, the left tackle knew it's big on big, one-on-one. -on -one. I'm not getting any help. I have to stop him. There was no chance. And Will Smith, I believe he was a big reason. This play was a big reason. And it got into Ken Dorsey's head. Because there are some yep. times when I'm watching this game, I'm like, Ken Dorsey, you have time. But I think he might go back to being like, man, they keep pressuring me. I can't get loose. And this was a big reason why. Will Smith quick off the ball right around, like, really right around the starting left tackle for the, for the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah. Sack in the Buckeyes front seven said, hey, we're not scared of you. We're, I, I believe the Buckeyes are double-digit underdogs as well, Ohio State. So it's not like we say Miami was a big favorite. They were literally a big favorite. And Will Smith realized if we're going to do anything, if we have any chance of winning this game, we had to set the tone right now. And they did that right from the first time they were on the field against the Hurricanes. Yeah, those guys were so tough. It's the opposite of what, especially like an Ohio State team would be now. This was a group of veterans. This was a group of mature guys, you know, a lot of seniors across the board um, that, that, that came to Ohio State under a different coach. You know, let's remember most of these guys played for John Cooper, uh, were recruited by John Cooper, and Trestle took them. You know, got the most out of their talent, figured out where they needed to be. Got that's why I love Trestle so much as a coach. What like the, the coaching job he did, and especially like you said, with the forty days he had leading up to the game. Um, but those guys, if you watch, if you watch this game, that's another one I said that you know everybody acts like Ohio State stole this game. Watch the watch the right side of Miami's line and how much they have to hold the entire game for whoever's coming off of you know the left side of the defense. They they struggled the entire game to keep people out of the backfield. And the refs basically just kind of were like, okay, we're gonna give you like we're gonna let you hold a little bit. We're gonna let you do like if because if we don't, we're gonna have to call holding every like every other play, and we're not gonna do that. Um, the the left side of the Miami offensive line got torched the entire game. And then obviously showed up on the last play of the game, the biggest play. Like it happened again. Like it was it was a total mismatch. And then Smith just controlled the interior. I mean, uh they only had I think Miami had like 65 rushing yards. I mean that's just unheard of with you know with I mean McGay he was the number one back in the country, I believe, um, you know, coming out that's that year. So it's like 
it, it was just an unbelievable job they did. And they just, they kept at it. The linebackers tackled well. Wilhelm played a really good game. You know, it's a, it's a good shout out to Matt Wilhelm. Uh, they were pretty good in coverage. Um, they, they, uh, you know, the safeties played good. I mean, just the whole defense. I mean, this game was really won by high state's defense. Um, you take out the punt return at the end of the game, they essentially gave up 14 points to the best team that we thought we had ever seen. So, you know, they did their part that, and you can't say enough about Krenzel, just one of the true all-time tough guy games that I've ever seen. This guy completed seven passes, Jay, and won a national championship. Seven, he completed seven passes, won a national championship. He was the leading rusher against, you know, in the BCS national championship game. Uh, Claret was, Claret and Lido Ross were kind of non-factors. Claret had a couple big runs. He had the touchdown, but it the, this game wasn't about him. Um you know, even though the season he had carried, you know, many games that season, it was it was all about Krenzel and uh, making a few big throws, and it was a, it was really just about the defense, like just would not let up. It, it was it was truly a great performance when everything just came together at the right time. It did come together at the right time, and in the midst of all of this, I am sitting here watching and trying to figure out who scores first, who gets their feet wet first. It one of the biggest things that pops out to me outside of the front seven of the Buckeyes is that as much as Jeff and I talk about Ken Dorsey, he wasn't the best quarterback. It was all about his record, which his record as a starter was really about the talent that was surrounding mm -hmm. him because it was really more about the talent at the skill positions, the talent on, on defense and on offense, and more than it was just about him and the things that he was doing. Ken Dorsey was able to find guys that got open. Kellen Winslow was able to get loose a little bit. Um, uh, Andre Johnson, Roscoe Parrish. It wasn't that he couldn't connect with guys. And these receivers from Miami, when they were able to get the ball, they were able to catch the ball and get a few more yards. Catch the ball, get a few more yards. And we talk about the Buckeye front seven. Jeff, I believe that, and there was another stat here that on, the, on the screen, a little graphic they put up, that really was telling in this game. The, these are the rankings of these teams, these Ohio State defense versus the Miami offense. Miami offense was ranked third in the country in points per game. The Buckeyes defense was ranked second for all defenses in points per game. But here's where it gets telling. Rushing yards per game, Miami's offense was 34. The Buckeyes defense was fourth in rushing yards per game as a defense. Passing yards per game, Miami was 16, even with a bad quarterback. They were still 16th in the country in yards per game. The offense was the Buckeyes' pass defense was 88th in the country in passing yards per game. So we anticipated, I anticipated, that Miami was going to be able to get loose. And we saw, similar to the Buckeyes last year, you could throw against that defense. And it really was telling. Even though you had a All-American to Mike Doss, Dustin Fox, who was a future NFL player, Gamble, future NFL player as well, Miami's offense, they had so much firepower. Mm. Ken Dorsey was able to find guys to get open, and I believe the first touchdown pass came on the arm of Ken Dorsey down in the red zone. These guys, this offense, they realized even though we can't run the ball against this team, we can move the, move the ball through the air. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we you know we knew as fans what you know th that there was weaknesses. I mean, most of the weeks, you know, we couldn't you know we couldn't take a breath until the end of the game. I mean, there's the famous Purdue game to where you know it took the the hail Buckeye. Uh, the only touchdown of the game, you know, there was one touchdown scored in a game and, and a team that's going to win the national title. Like these things don't make sense. Overtime versus Illinois, like that doesn't make sense. So no. we, there were glaring weaknesses and there weren't for Miami. When you watch the highlights of Miami, it doesn't look like it does now to a great team because the times were different. But in that period of time, 
it, they were superstars. Uh, it looked like they they were they were dominant. They couldn't be stopped. They were they had a ton of like swagger. You know, it, it just it was off the charts, and it it didn't. You know, it's not that we didn't believe in our Buckeyes, but we also knew that it was going to take some some sort of perfect game. We we didn't see it happen in the way it did, like this defensive struggle. And obviously Miami didn't either, because everything you said is true. And if Miami's coaches, you know, use use their time wisely, they should have easily been able to scheme against this Buckeyes team and just simply try to outscore them. Like, you know what I mean? Like force the Buckeyes to score. And they didn't do that. They they punted too much. They played too conservative. They tried to force McGahee down their throat. I don't know why they thought that was I don't know why they ran the ball more. Though I think if I remember correct, I'm pretty sure the Buckeyes were in shotgun more than Miami was, which is just that was insane how much Buckeyes were in shotgun so much, but it was just to let Krenzel see the field. Um, he wound up running the ball most of the time. Like we said, he only had seven completions, so he obviously wasn't picking them apart. Uh, the Buckeyes, they just had a better game plan and they were they were more ready. And Miami went into it and they just got they just kept I'm sure Miami fans are crazy about this game, like the all the what ifs, like how many times can they give it to McGahee and he gets tackled in the backfield again and again and again. And, you know, you know, Dorsey's running for cover and throwing the ball, you know, short, like there's so many adjustments that could have been made and they didn't make any of them. I mean, they were down at halftime in this game too. It's just, it's, it was, it was a, just a, this really this game is about as much as it is about for me, the victory it is really about what Miami didn't do. I mean, this this game and this season is really about Miami not getting it done. It's the weirdest thing, man. I mean, it's the weirdest thing to think about how you have a team in Miami who is the team. Like Larry Coker doing what he did or not, doesn't matter who the coach is. You have too much talent on this team to go out in the way that they did. And at some point you say, Jay, they're kids. Yeah, I don't care if they're kids. At some point, if I am one of these Miami players, I'm probably going to Ken Dorsey and being like, look, man, <laughs> you we can do this behind your arm. We can get this done exactly. with you as a quarterback. All we got to do is, hey, if homeboy calls a run to the left, how about we just do a play action, throw it to Andre Johnson over the top? It's not that hard. I mean, these are legitimate things that Larry Coker might get mad and be like, why didn't you run the play? It was a bad play. You say, no. Jay, is it really that easy? Look. Y'all don't realize what go okay. Also, we're dating ourselves here. This was back <laughs> when you huddled after every play. Yeah. And so you're sitting, and you also heard me say that uh there was three games where Chris where Gamble played over 100 plays uh, in, in three straight games. You're like, well, Jay, didn't Chip Kelly and his team run 70, 80, 90 plays on offense when he was at Oregon? Different time period. Yep. These, these, these guys are huddling, and in huddles, you have no idea. What these guys are saying about their team, about their coaches, any of that stuff. So, yes, it probably would be that simple to be like, look, okay, run left. McGahee, let's go run left. Well, they stopped the, the, the two plays in a row. They stopped it. Yeah. Well, how about we just go run left play action? Then all of a sudden, Kellen Winslow instead of Andre Johnson. Why? Because we want to win the game. I'm getting a little yeah. agitated because Jeff mentioned bad coaching. I get tired of bad coaching. But this game, as much oh. as I don't, I wasn't planning to go talking about bad coaching. Miami fans probably to this day, I I know one, Chris LeBron. Chris yeah. LeBron is someone that has been on this podcast for quite a long time. But if he was on here with Jeff and I, he would probably tell you Miami was a better team. Miami oh, yeah. just didn't have the better coach. Here's the numbers for you, Jeff. And I, I know we're going back and forth, but let's get a little bit more nitty gritty with the numbers a little bit to remind people about Craig Krenzel. 
lose 245 pounds as a quarterback who in today's days is not mobile at all. Oh no, led, gosh. Led every quarterback, I mean, let all players in rushing yards and rushing yards per play. He had 19 carries, 81 yards, 4.3 yards a pop, and two touchdowns. I mean, let that sink in oh, for you. A guy he, who he's not that athletic, he's not that mobile. But in this offense, and Jim Trussell realized I have a weapon with a guy that people don't think can move. Yeah. But he moved and he moved in a way that even McGahee couldn't get loose. Maurice Claret couldn't get loose on his 23 carries for 47 rushing yards. Quarterback could get loose, and he was smart enough to know when to utilize his legs and how much to utilize his legs. Oh, yeah. It was, it, like I said, just a great performance. And he took a beating, too. Like he was getting tackled. These weren't, this wasn't. You know, if you haven't watched it, this wasn't drop back and then just take the easy yards in front of you and baseball slide. This was a guy put this was Tim Tebow esque um, without the athleticism. This was putting your head down, you know, coming up behind the tackles, you know, feeling your way through and then taking a big hit from a linebacker just time and time and time again. There were no easy yards out there. I mean, Craig Krenzel is one of the I mean, he's probably one of the worst athletes on the field in this game. As good as this game was played, he really is. I mean, I always was... try to be as nice as possible, saying he's not that athletic, but Jeff is right. The, he's well, a these, poor and these teams were so good. He's, I mean, he's a, yeah, he's a, I mean, the, he, I mean, yeah, there's no comparison. Like he, he, he wasn't, he didn't even have, he didn't have a good arm. He just, the guy had so much moxie and him and Trestle were just one, you know, they were so in sync through the whole year. Trestle had total faith in him, the, the, the calmness that, you know, the Krenzel can make, could attempt to throw in any situation. Like, and he made huge throws. Like I said, the fourth down throw to keep things alive. I think it was fourth and 14, if I remember correct. And they get the, you know, they get the first down in overtime, just time and time and time again, uh, you know, the, the guy came up big and and took his beating. And then, you know, a lot of people forget, too, in both these teams. The next year, both these teams went 11-2. and two. They were very good one more year after this. High State actually uh, was would have returned to the championship game except for Michigan beat them. Uh, you know, so they were that good the next year. They were they were going to jump up in the BCS and Michigan, you know, upset them. You know them what's crazy about they, that? They went on Michigan to win the, went Fiesta to the Rose Bowl. Bowl that year. Michigan went to the Rose Bowl in 03. Mm-hmm. Played Texas because mm-hmm. I remember that because I was on vacation. As of all things, the first time I go to Southern California is in Christmas in 03. And I look up, I see a Longhorn drawing on the ground and a Wolverine logo nonsense on the ground as well. Yeah. Like, and I, of course, I, I, I don't know all about the rivalry. Like, my hatred and disdain for Michigan right now is way stronger than it was when I was 13, 14 years old. I was just falling in love with the sport. I knew Ohio State didn't like Michigan. But I was like, oh, snap. I like this sport. I like – I love Texas back then, bro. Like, Texas was my second favorite team. And all of a sudden – Understandable. It's like, They're here? Vince Young's here? Like, I, I am a kid, bro. I'm a little legit kid. And I'm excited for this. And so, yeah, Michigan beat them. But I was like, this is crazy. And I Honestly, I think that would have been – LSU Oklahoma in the national championship that year. I think oh, Saban, Saban yeah. won that one. Yes. And yes. so of all things, if it could have been Trestle versus Saban in that one, that would have been a battle because LSU's quarterback, what? No, they had they didn't have Jamarcus Russell. Mm-mm. No, LSU's, that would have been uh the first one was shoot. 
Who in the heck was it? It wasn't Matt Flynn, was it? No, no, no. no, Matt Flynn beat Ohio State. Or that was, yeah, I think he's the one that beat Ohio State in 07. Yeah, I forget who. And Matt Flynn wasn't good either. Um, No. I forget who the quarterback. But his quarterback was decent. Like, he was was a decent quarterback. And so Oklahoma also had the Heisman Trophy winner in Jason White, who Jason White wasn't the best quarterback. Like, it's weird. How about quarterback play? Like, when you just named four or five guys there where it's like, quarterbacks at this time you didn't need an elite quarterback to get to the national championship it was more about the team so talking about the team get back to this game here very quickly jeff there were a few turnovers in this game that really stood out of course turnovers in a defensive battle they're always (laughs) going to stand out miami had the punt that was down that roscoe Parrish and sean taylor pinned inside the one yard line that was huge and I remember in this game, I think it was in the second quarter when this happened, first, second quarter, mm-hmm. I remember them talking about how it was Dan Fouts. He kind of talked about how he didn't like the Buckeyes. Yeah. But he did a good job of pointing out how Craig Krenzel had a big gap, A gap to A gap, guard to guard, big old gap. But the play was triple team right over the D tackle. And so instead of going right where the hole was, he went over to where the play was supposed to go. And Dan Fouts ended up saying he could have got a few more yards that way, but Maybe he was a little bit more – he had a little bit more incentive to describe it in the way that he did. But there were a penalty – there was a interception. I believe Mike Dawes had an interception. Yeah. And then Miami had an interception. I believe Sean Taylor – no, not Sean Taylor. There was one before Sean Taylor's where he got the fumble, where Maurice Claret got him. It was an interception that led to a Miami touchdown. Yeah. But then there was the interception of Sean Taylor where Claret stripped him. <laughs> so as I'm talking this through, I'm trying to figure out, like, so Mike Dawes was pivotal – the interception that was pivotal to a touchdown for Miami was pivotal. But then you had Sean Taylor's interception that was a fumble because Maurice Platt stripped him. I'm trying to figure out which one was the biggest moment in the game. But oh. really, it's tough to describe because Mike Doss has added some momentum. The Miami, the my, first Miami one led to a touchdown. But then you had Sean Taylor's, which led to a turnover. And so I yeah. don't know which one was the most important to the game because all three had different details and were big factors to how the game went in the roller coaster for both teams. Well, yeah, it's crazy. You know, for anybody that, again, that doesn't know or remember, um, you know, Sean Taylor intercept, the, the Buckeyes are on, I believe, the one or two yard line. They throw it, you know, he throws it to Hartsock. Uh, Taylor reads it, makes a wonderful was, play. First off, it was a bad read. There were two guys. Oh, no, no, he, he has no business too. throwing that. And Taylor sees it, you know, Batey man grabs the ball. He As he's running out of, the, you know, the end zone, he gets up to about the 30 yard line. Claret comes out and just takes the ball back. Claret was actually on the ground. He was blocking on that play, is on the ground. Interception happens. He jumps up, chases Taylor down, rips the ball out of his hands and takes it back. You know, huge momentum swing. I believe the Buckeyes got wound up with a field goal on that drive, I think. I don't believe they scored the touchdown. I, I just watched this. It's all blurring together now. Um, I did so, too. But, you know, he, he takes it back. And that is honestly, I don't think – that you ever meet a Buckeye fan that doesn't remember that play vividly. It it was when Taylor intercepts it, we're like, that's it. We're done. Like this is the game. That's the game. Like that was the momentum they needed. We we lost every chance. We we couldn't make mistakes. And then as Claret steals it back, it, it is the most it, to that moment, that point in time, that's the most exciting play that I experienced in Ohio State history. Uh it was just like such a swing of emotions in 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 a matter of five seconds um to me that's still the, the absolute 
easiest way to pick up the biggest play of the game. It, it was just crazy. So I don't, it's one of those, like it, it sort of wasn't a turnover. It was sort of two turnovers, whatever you want to call that play. Uh, it, it changed the high state world. Jeff, I literally, as we were about to record this, I was literally, I told you, I just got back from a quick vacation up to Northwest Indiana. You may say, why Northwest Indiana? Visit Indiana Dude State Park. You'll realize why I went to Northwest Indiana over the weekend. And I'm watching this, and I'm trying to refresh my memory just like you were. And all of a sudden, okay, so I remember that play watching it live. I remember it even better as I just watched it. When Sean Taylor caught that ball, I thought he was gone. Oh, I didn't care who was going to, who was right there in front of him. He is too big. He's too fast. He's too strong. I surely thought he caught the ball by five yards deep into the end zone, and I thought there was no way any Ohio State player was going to catch him because it looked like he just got shot out of a shot out of a cannon. He was going to be gone. Now you know there's one detail that well, there's two details. One. He never switched the ball from his yeah. right hand on the inside to the left side, left arm, which is on the left sideline, to protect the ball from any oncoming defender. But the other, number two mistake that he made, that ball got loose a little bit. And Maurice Claret knew, this is my shot. Yep. That ball got loose. The ball got away from Sean Taylor's body. Maurice Claret goes in. The next thing you know, it's a fumble. And that right there, you could tell me, we're going to talk, we got a few more Minister here with Jeff. I'm going to talk about this call that Dan Fouts quickly <laughs> said, bad call, sir. Um, okay, whatever. You're, whatever. Yeah, easy, buddy. But this play here, I'm not going to say that that was the worst play for Miami because we didn't touch on Willis McGahee's injury. Yeah. Which even though Willis McGahee didn't, he only had uh, 67 rushing yards in this game on 20 carries. You're losing a guy that's your leader in the backfield. The next guy to come in is Jared Payton. The son of Walter Payton, but Jared yeah. Payton is not Willis McGay. And famously, they they sh the if anybody remembers, the backup was injured and he was in the locker room that season. It was Frank Gore. Yes, Frank Frank Gore was was on this team and he had been injured, so he was you know he was um you know he was he wasn't playing because Miami fame you know when they asked Miami they asked Miami players about you know defending Maurice Claret and they're like well we're not too worried about it because the second best running back in the game is actually in our locker room uh, so you know that was their thoughts on Claret they weren't totally wrong about that I think it I think we were high state fans were a little high on Claret and I think if you really watch him play this game you're like he was fine you know what I mean like yeah I, I, we were we were up on him but he was just fine you know he was you know, he was not going to be a, a superstar at Ohio State like we think, as much as I like the guy or whatever. Um, just, just like we talked about Ken Dorsey. You know, you got to – now that we've had time to look back, we're like, ah, yeah, he was he was just fine. But, um, yeah, it's really, really excited stuff. The McGay injury was was tough because he was heating up. Um, he was starting to find some creases. The Buckeyes defense, you know, understandably tired, so. Getting we're getting tired. a little tired. Um, again, he, you know, on that one, one touchdown run, it was like, oh, okay. Uh, that's a problem. When he goes out, it really, really stifled Miami's offense. It did. Let's go ahead and hit on that injury really quick. We got the injury, got the, um, bad call by Dan Fouts. <laughs> and, uh, I'm going to re reiterate something that Keith Jackson said earlier in the game, but this injury, it wasn't just the injury. It was the morale hit that the team yeah. took, but also Jeff, Okay, so we talk about bad injuries. We talk about you talk about earlier in the show about how players were hitting hard, and this wasn't today's NFL where hits weren't 
some bad hits were outlawed just or against the rules nowadays. You know, these guys could hit. And I forget the safety's name from Ohio State, the DB that hit him that skates me right now. But I all was, I remember was that Nikki? <sighs> Might have been Nikki. I forget. I'll take your word for it. But all I remember is Willis McGahee getting hit, going down. You immediately know something is wrong. And as I am re-watching this game, preparing to talk to you about this game, I see this. And I immediately, now I, I have a strong stomach. Stuff like this does not make me puke or anything like this. And no, we're not going to replay audio and show the video. I'm not doing that to you. But one thing this thing made me do, Jeff, when they replayed it and they showed which way his leg was, his leg oh. was going and it was a way hit your leg is not supposed to go, I turned my face so quickly, and I said, I don't want to see that again. Yeah. I turned around five seconds later, and all of a sudden, I saw the replay was on my screen again. I turned away. That's how brutal that hit was. Yeah. And so I say that it hit it was a morale hit for the team because as they're battling for this, the guy who was, as Jeff says, starting to get comfortable, yeah. starting to get loose. You have your backup who can't play. Like your number one running back can't play due to a very brutal hit and an injury. Man, Miami, all of a sudden, is like, we don't have to go into overtime, which wasn't something that was played back at this time. They're actually going to start and play and finish this game in regulation. But no, they don't. That was one of the weirdest things about this was we know the injury, but if he's healthy, Miami probably wins this in regulation. I think so. And we don't have to worry about overtime. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. I said that, you know, as it was happening, everybody fam- like everybody I watched the game with, you know, swears that I cursed, you know, McGahee. And I never, like, you know me well enough. I never wished for an injury. I probably said something like, if we could get McGahee out of the game, not meaning injury. Yeah, you know, yeah, like a yeah. spaceship could come pick him up. And it was like the next play had happened. And everybody still to this day that watched that game with me is like, <laughs> You feel good, and I. See, it's crazy. How, is, it's crazy how the memory works. Like they, they remember yeah. the weirdest things. Like, well, Jeff cursed him. Like, guys, that was twenty oh, like years ago. Jeff, it it's your fault. You cursed him. Like, guys, that was literally twenty. I don't care. Yep. It's all Jeff's fault. The good news is, uh, again, he recovered. Really, one of the first great recoveries from from a horrible knee injury. Like yes. you see it a lot now, but not then. Like we thought his career was over. Like everybody watching the games, like, oh, that sucks. His career's over. Uh, had a great NFL career, uh, you know, managed to come back. Actually, had I think he had another injury later on that he recovered from. Uh, really, really good NFL career. And I'm glad that that happened. But I'm also – I'm not saying I'm glad he got hurt, but it it was beneficial that he didn't play the rest of the game. That's as delicate as I can say. Uh, it abs- he was absolutely starting to figure it out. Jeff, if you could, please describe the play <laughs> that us and Miami fans like – us as Ohio State fans and Miami fans – will look at, describe, and I will go down to say that was pass interference. I will always say that till the day I die. Well, there's a couple things about this play. So here's what happens. Uh, first of all, let, I'll set this up. Miami gets the ball first in overtime. Anybody knows college football overtime? It's the back and forth thing from the 35-yard line. Miami gets the ball first and scores. What a lot of people forget is that the Miami, the Miami threw a pass over the middle, catch it for a touchdown. But they they actually called pass interference on that Miami touchdown on that play. So it was the exact same scenario that happens for Ohio State. Miami caught the ball, though, so they declined the penalty and took the touchdown. But if Miami doesn't catch that touchdown, everybody forgets they get the ball on the one-yard line. 
Yeah. And it wasn't egregious pass interference either. It happened literally, but it, it it's so overblown by the crowd noise. But if you really watch it, they call pass interference. Ohio, you know, Miami declines it because obviously they scored the touchdown. But Miami would have got the ball on the one-yard line from pass interference too in overtime. So let's not act like – everybody acts like the refs are giving it away. What would you call that? It's the same – they did the exact same thing. They don't know he's going to catch the ball. They just threw the flag. So here's what happens. High State gets the ball back. They're down seven. It's fourth down. Um, for whatever reason, nobody will know, Ohio State decides to throw like – I guess you want to call it a back shoulder pass. I don't know if Krenzel was trying to. It, I don't know what fr- he was doing either. Yeah, he was trying to kind of back shoulder it to Jenkins in the front corner, you know, the right side, front corner of the end zone. And as he's going up, uh, the Miami defensive back gets into him. The ball bounces off, you know, Jenkins' hand. For two seconds, Miami's charging the field, but there's a flag on the field. And they call they call pass interference. Everybody loses their mind. They watch the replay, and they don't see it. It doesn't help that Dan Fouts immediately yells bad call. And in his stomping his feet, you know, about a bad call. So now everybody's in an uproar, but it, it was called. They don't take him back. One thing that's really missed on this play, and the ref, this is where the ref messed this up. It was actually defensive holding is what yes. he called. If you watch it, he actually makes the holding gesture. But when he calls it on the mic, he says pass interference. Now, I don't know why he did that. It didn't matter. Holding was the same. Holding was five yards and a first down. You know, I, I don't, I don't know I don't why think they had a difference back then. I, I don't think, think the it defensive was holding was a newer thing. Yeah. Even within like the past five to 10 years, I don't believe defensive holding was a, a call. Cause I remember when it first came out they were like, Oh, we're going to call defensive holding. I'm like, what's a defender supposed to do? The but then I realized the air, it's the same outside, thing. Right, right. It is. So he, he did, but he's really calling the holding. So if you go look, it's because of they grabbed Jenkins Jersey as he's running the route and he's trying to make space. And that was most of the call. But when everybody sees the contact, they, they think it's simultaneous. That's what the big controversy is. But if you watch it, the, they say the, the ref throws a late flag. If you watch, he throws the holding gesture up as he sees it, just like he would any other play, you know, and, and then there's, there's famous pictures. Any, if you come to any bar in Ohio, they've got the famous picture of the guy holding Jenkins Jersey and stretching it out on that play. Uh, and it says, you know, pass interference. So it, it was, yes. Any, if you want to go back through history and look at every football game, there's, there's going to be a call, obviously calls determine the games. Like, you know, there's the, there's the, the holding call they didn't call and, when uh, the Buckeyes would have had a first down, uh, they would have ran the clock out. You know, that would have. The ESPN did a whole half-hour show on why there was more to this game than that silly pass interference call that especially Miami fans just can't get past. Um, I'm like, your team scored 17 points in, in, in four quarters against a Big Ten team that you say shouldn't be there. I don't want to hear about one play. But if you watch the whole play and take it in and think of it as holding, it starts making a lot more sense. It does. Jeff said it so well. That play, I even have Miami fans now that are on Twitter, a guy I went to high school with. And um, if I need to pull that out or if he's trying to get a little high on Miami and he starts talking trash about the Ohio State, I can literally post that picture. Miami fans get mad. Just like there are Purdue fans that can talk about a certain game in 2018, that'll make me upset. Michigan State fans. They can yeah. talk about a particular game that'll make me upset. And so there are certain things fans have against other team fan bases that, well, if you want to talk, start talking trash about my team, 
I will simply just pull up a picture that'll show you. Yeah. You might not want to say that right now because things are a little bit crazy. This game, though, Jeff, we're not going to go to the end of overtime. See, Grant got a sack, uh, pressure, whatever yeah. you call it. Um, uh, game over. Ken Dorsey has the ball for it down once again. Game over. Buckeyes win. But I think, Jeff, very quickly, if you could, I'll do, I'll do Miami. If you could very quickly discuss what the next 20 years have been oh. for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, that just – that answered the question of like, could they play with these teams? Like it's, and it's still 06 was a bit of a setback as far as the perception of Ohio state. And I guess you want to jumble the big 10 in there, but um, it, it proved that they belong on the field. They were the first 14 and O team of all time. So then at this point we're like, okay, wait a minute. Trestle did this. Most of these guys aren't even his. Like there was guys on the field that night, red shirt guys, or A.J. Hawk as a freshman had some playing time because of an injury. Troy Smith is on the sidelines of that game. Like the the basis of, you know, there's that 05, 06 run, 07 run, you know, was starting to build up. We were so excited. And then Trestle goes on the next year. They had a great year. Could have went to the national championship. Another, you know, another great year. They get into 05, you know, and they, they kind of they had a couple tough years at quarterback, which Trestle admittedly struggled a bit with the quarterback position, kind of finding the right guys or whatever. Troy Smith comes in and has two awesome years. Um, you know, has 06 is still one of the greatest teams that Ohio State ever had, as disappointing as the national championship game was. They go back to the national championship game in 07. So Jim Trestle went to three national championship games while he was at Ohio State. And then, of course, you know, after that, we, we got Tattoo Gate. Things are still going great. Urban comes in, wins a championship, and then since he got there, they basically the offense ramps up. They they stop losing almost. They're they're amazing. Uh, Day comes in, takes the offense to the next. So in twenty years, Ohio State, it's hard to believe, got better from from the team that won the national championship. So we have really really been spoiled by Buckeye fans, and they've only lost a couple times to Michigan in that time. It, it just everything. It's been it's been too good to be true, honestly. It's the weirdest thing in the world. We all discuss what Ohio State is now, but that 20 I, – I keep talking about the celebrating 20 years of success. Most schools would love, <laughs> literally love, to do and to have what Ohio State has had during this time. Now, the thing about Miami is that Miami had one of the weirdest things happen to them when Larry Coker got let go, I forget how long he was actually the coach. But next thing you know, they ended up having, and I'm trying to pull some stuff up here very quickly. Larry Coker goes out. He's there from 01 to 06. He, I remember he followed up Butch Davis, who followed up Dennis Erickson, who followed up Jimmy Johnson. He, all these guys, Howard Stellenberger, all these guys are legends down in Coral Gables. Well, Larry Coker leaves in 06, gets fired. They bring in Randy Shannon, a Miami player, a Miami guy. It's like, oh, he's going to rekindle some things. Things didn't go well. He only lasted until from, from 07 to 2010. And then you have Jeff Stotland, who, well, he was an interim guy, only coached one game. I thought Al Golden was going to be the guy. I thought when that hire happened, Al Golden was going to be a coach that could really do some amazing things. Didn't happen. There are a few more coaches there. Mario Cristobal is a former Miami coach. I think he played in Miami as well. And now he – now, correct me, Jeff, I know, but will, will probably correct me with that. I think Mario Cristobal played at Miami. I might be wrong. 
I believe he did play there. I, I don't okay. I don't quite remember him, but I think that's that's I know he's a Miami guy. I just yes, can't remember yes. if it was from just playing or coaching or growing up there or whatever. I know that's his dream job, so to speak. And many people believe Randy, not Randy Shannon, Mario Cristobal is going to be the guy there right now. That's he's already done some things in recruiting. He's done some things with the fan base. There's a belief down there in Coral Gables. I think one of the weirdest things about this whole thing is tearing down the old Orange Bowl Stadium. As weird <laughs> as I have a tie to stadiums, that was a part of the history of Miami that's no longer there. Of course, they didn't keep up with the stadium. Miami hasn't been the same since. I think, that, Jeff, I do believe, last time I checked, they've had one double-digit win season since joining the ACC. Uh, so I think they joined the ACC in 04. So I think they had the 11-win season in 03. They've had a 10-win season, I think, under Al Golden, I think. Coaching would be wrong. But they have not had that the success you would think Miami would no. have based off what they were in the 80s and in the 90s. And so it's a weird contrast of events. Ohio State rises, stay high, stays hot, gets a new coach in Ryan Day, who is upping things up his own. Miami's hoping Cristobal can bring back the magic the Hurricanes had during that run, the 90s, 80s, and even from the 01 Hurricanes as well. Jeff Hunt, this has been fun. A little longer than we expected. We're talking ball. College yeah. football season is right around the corner. We're going to be having our dream or ultimate, excuse me, college football road trip show right here on the show trying to get jeff make sure it works for schedules jeff back <laughs> on the back here once again we will lay out the rules for that but trust me this is an exercise that'll get you excited and hype for the upcoming college football season jeff fun if you could let everyone know they can catch you on twitter and the great things you're doing with the podcast as well yeah, you know, on Twitter, I'm at jhunt 6 um, Again, thanks to Jay. I love being on the show, whether it's this, whether it's Locked on Buckeyes. It's always a pleasure to, to work with him. He's, he's a true professional, and I appreciate it every time. Um, yeah, pay attention. You know, coming up, Jeff needs sports. You know, I take a lot of the summer off. Basketball season wore me out. Football season's coming up, and I know what a load that is. So not a lot going on, but, I mean, I'm working a lot. Me and Stuart Brooking from Off the Ball Network are doing quarterback rankings weekly. You know, I say I'm taking a break and I do two or three shows a week and, and it's a blast. <laughs> so Jeff needs sports to be kicking back up. I do a Buckeye show every week. I'm going to do sort of a, a kind of transition into like a all around football kind of recap show every week that I'm working on for this year. And of course, I'll still be working with the great guys at Off the Ball Network and, and great guys like Jay Stevens as well. So um, look, looking forward to football season. It, it's closer than we think. And um, it, it's going to be I think it's going to be very, a very, very interesting uh, season, to say the least. And guys, you can follow me on Twitter at jstephen07. You can tell in my voice I'm excited. You can tell in <laughs> Jeff's voice he is excited as well. The smiles on our faces mean only one thing. College football season is right around the corner. This is not a college football-centered show. We'll talk NFL. We'll talk NBA. Pick up basketball. It don't matter to me. We'll talk, we'll talk ball. I'm glad Jeff is here. I hope you enjoyed Jeff and I as we relived history discussing the magic as the Buckeyes upset the Hurricanes during the 0-2 BCS National Championship game and discuss the players on Miami, players at Ohio State, and the aftermath of the game. Guys, we're out of here. Hope you have a great day.